Hello, and welcome to the Canyon Chasers podcast that we've affectionately called the Breaking Zone. Uh, I am extremely excited about today's episode. We have two of two very influential riders on the podcast today. We have Nick Einach, who is the lead instructor for Yamaha Champions Riding School, but he's a longtime moto journalist. He's uh, an author. He's a national championship winning racer. We also have uh, the one and only three-time world champion, Freddie Spencer, who is often regarded as one of the greatest road racers of all time. He he has really made a name for himself by winning the GP250 and the GP500 series in the same year, which in today's speak would be the equivalent of winning MotoGP and Moto2 in the same year, which would be absolutely unheard of. He went on to start the Freddie Spencer High Performance Riding School, which became the Yamaha Champions Riding School. And they sat down with us. So uh, without further ado, let's get into it. I'm really excited that you guys both agreed to do this. I think this is, you guys are both, you know, I'm not really one for like hero worship or adoration, but you guys both had a pretty significant impact um, early on in the kind of rider I wanted to be. You know, Nick, with your journalism, Motorcyclist Magazine, you know, like your alcohol article hit me at the exact right time. So I, you know, um, <laughs> there you go. Positive outcome. And the pace, you know, like the pace changed everything. And, and I was so impressed when you wrote the pace 2.0 where you revised it. And then of course, you know, Mr. Spencer, the last man to win 250 and 500 in the same year. I mean, that's amazing. Um, anyway, so like some of the things I was hoping we could kind of talk about today, um, I'd like to ask you a couple of questions about your early career. It's, I think it's always interesting. You know, Freddie, you started racing at the ripe old age of four, I believe, you know, like, and, um, and then kind of um, a key message I was kind of hoping to get out of this podcast um, all the time we hear, well, that's a racing technique or whatever. And I wanted to talk about why racing matters so much that I've always argued that it's, it's as close as we get to scientific evidence because it is measurable and because it is repeatable and stuff like that. But I'm sure you guys could say that way better than I can. Well, racing, listen, I, I, I've said this many times, you know, I learned everything. Basically I know about riding a motorcycle in my yard as a kid and, and, it, and it, that comes from what you said about the repeating aspect of it. Um, you look at anybody that's successful at something and that can do things in a, in a consistent way is comes from the dedication of, uh, practice, um, not just the physical aspect of practicing, but the mental aspect of it and going through the same procedure over and over. It's also how you make those steps. You do, you build your sequences of, of what you do and you develop the feel. I, you know, riding a bike is, is, is as, as we know, and I'm sure to learn about it, it's, it's about the, the analytical and the practical side, the technical side of understanding not only the inputs, but also how the bike works and blending those. But it's really about what you develop in the trust side. And that's the enjoyment side, but it's also the, the performance side. And performance, you know, side does, doesn't have to be so much about speed, but in your, in, in how you, how you achieve the self-achievement of, of none of us are perfect and you'll never do it perfectly, but getting to that point to where you, you have that, that tight control, you know, uh, and, and that, that is developed in my case from racing. Now I've heard a story and I don't know if it's true. Um, that when you were a kid trying to understand the bike that you would go out on your motorcycle in the mud and practice with the front brake and just falling over and falling over. Is that a true story? Is that how driven you were at that age? 
in Louisiana, the weather changes all the time. You know, it's like yesterday, you know, it's eating 30 degrees and today it's, it's going to be 60. So the, but I was always different conditions. And so what I would do, and normally is I'd wet, I had a hose, long hose, got my mom to buy me this long hose. And I would wet one edge of the corner. I had a little oval. I had many different little layouts around to the trees. And things. But this one particular area I had left, and I would practice front end pushing and sliding and rotating the bike. And I would change my lean angles based on my grip level and how quickly I did the bike. And where that came from is I would watch the older guys like Robert E. Lee and, and even my brother and like Daryl Hurst and Mike Gerald and all these riders and Guy McClure, my kid, you know. They were all riders that raced the Rolls Downs, and, and I would watch them how they rotate the bike. I watched Kenyon 72, first time I saw him, about how he used both wheels to get the bike drifting and then slowed and picked up and, and changed the direction. So I would watch the other guys. Now, I'm not sitting there saying I understood exactly, but I would try to emulate it, and then I would feel what it felt like, and that's what I remember. So, yes, I, I told a story about you know, I'd go in and, and crash and crash until I figured out the lean angle, the speed, stop crashing, right? And I understood the grip level. Uh, but yeah, that's that's what I would do. I would I would just practice practice those those different what I would see, and then I would try to incorporate it on a much smaller scale, uh, in, in what I was doing, and and it taught me again bike control, how the bike worked, and the most sad at that age, just just intuitive. So. You were four when you did your first, did, was this something as a little, little kid, you were just fascinated by motorcycles and it was just something you had to do or? My dad had always loved bikes. I mean, he was like Warren Brando in high school. I got pictures of him with the cap on and the leather jacket. Oh yeah, he, he was, he very, he loved bikes. And so my dad was like almost 40 when I was born. And so they, it was just local, local racing. And my brother and him would race a little bit and I tagged along. I want to do that. And so they, they got me a little Briggs and Strand. That's how it started. Yeah. I had a little track outside Dallas called Lake Lavon. And I finished dead last my first race. It was an absolute disaster. Got lapped. I, and my, my dad would tell the story. I don't remember that part of it, but he said, I come in, I was completely on the lever. You know, like there's no way, you know? And I want a bike and, and I was just, I was very driven. You know, and I think, you know, it's not uncommon, you know, when it's something that is ultimately, uh, I believe this, you know, my passion, my purpose. And, and, and I was, I was relentless in my, my desire to want to get better at it. It's, I've always kind of thought that you have to have the stars align, right? You have to have the desire, you have to have the talent and the aptitude, and you have to have the opportunity. And, you know, a lot of us have two. You know, but not very many of us get all three. Yeah, it's I, I you couldn't be I, I agree with that completely. I, I've said many times, they said, Well, what makes a great champion? I said, Well, the desire, you know, is one. But um and then your work ethic because it there's there's gonna be times along the way. And I went through it. I, I've said they asked, someone asked me about being burned out. I said I was burned out in nineteen seventy nine, you know. <laughs> Four hours a day, five days a week, and racing sometimes fifteen races a weekend for forty weekends a year. Oh my gosh! Oh yeah, I mean relentless. I never got tired. I, I'd ride five road race bikes a day. 
there was a there was a point in seventy five and seventy six seventy seven where I was riding an RD four hundred and a TZ seven fifty. Same day, back to back. I'd ride anything. You know, I'd I'd love to. I'd win on both any of. I I just I just go and go and go. I would take my helmet off. I could ride like that because of all those five hours a day of riding. I developed the skill to be able to. I work with the motorcycle so well. The motorcycle did most of the work for me. I would just input at the right times, you know. So those skills, natural ability, and you couldn't be more correct on opportunity. You have to want to believe. I remember at the match races that I was walking with Dale Singleton. We were walking under for the first race on that on that Good Friday in in eighty, and he goes, "Aren't you nervous?" I go, "Not really. I mean, this I've worked my entire life together. I was ready, you know." And I went out and won the race, beat Kenny and Barry. And, you know, you, you got to feel like that you are up to that moment and up to that, that thing. And, and that's where there's a difference between arrogance and confidence. Um, I am the most, I never, I never assume anything. I never expect, you know, that I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do it. So I work tirelessly, you know. That is one of the biggest things. If you walk down a track day, you walk down a club race, you walk down a Grand Prix, it's much different. Grand Prix riders, believe it or not, are much more like, you know, we know we got to work at this, you know, and we know we got to perfect it and we know we got to do it. And it's what allows us to get to that level of performance versus a person that says, oh, I'm, I'm, shoot, I do this, you know, I'm good at this or, or whatever. And, and that they don't understand just that, that one moment of that train of thought, um, affects your ability to improve, you know? Now, Nick, you had a lot of opportunity too. You kind of grew up in a motorcycle household as well, right? Yeah. Very lucky. My dad was riding motorcycles before I was born. And uh, when I was 12 years old, he took me down to the Suzuki shop, State Sport Suzuki in Salt Lake. Uh, that's where you live, Dave. And, and, uh, bought me a TM-125. And the RM125s were out, but I was so little, I couldn't possibly fit. I barely fit on a TM125. We went over to the, to the, um, across the street from Upland Terrace Elementary School, there was a gully. And he would take me over there and let me ride in the gully. And, uh, and let me ride in the gully. And that's, that's how it started. It changed, it, you know, changed my life now that I look back on it. So, Freddie, you and I, so many people out there are so lucky to have riding parents. And if you are a riding parent, I, I'll tell you, getting your kid involved in motorcycling, boy, girl, it is a great life, uh, even if they don't do it professionally. Yeah, I think I started on the, the little XT80s. I'm probably about the same age, 12, 13. Yeah, and I, you know, we're about the same size. We're towering hulks of men. But yeah, I couldn't, yeah. I couldn't touch the ground on anything. <laughs> Still can't. But was it always a desire to ride a motorcycle? Was that always there that you had to do it? Yep, always there. Always just, like, rode with my dad, rode, I mean, before I was 12, I, I, my dad would let me sit on the front of his uh, GT750. Remember those three-cylinder, two-strokers? He had a Suzuki water buffalo, they called it. Sit on the front, and he'd get us He'd let me do the throttle, and, and I couldn't shift, you know. But I'd uh, let me do the throttle, and uh, so I was just totally into it. Wanted it so badly, and, and uh, you know, they held it over my head like so many kids. That's what you can do, parents. You can hold this over their heads and say, yeah, A's and B's, clean your room. Or no riding, and that's that's what uh, that's what that's why Freddie and I are such exemplary people. Hey, my, my parents 
thing. You know, so I couldn't run my yard no matter how much I wanted. I didn't keep my grades up and stuff, so I was good. And then, Nick, you went on to have a pretty impressive racing career as well. Like, you and Rich Oliver had some pretty exciting races back in the day. Yeah, I don't remember him at all. Was Who is it? <laughs> yeah, Rich. Uh, <laughs> Rich Rich beat me pretty good every time. I might have beat him one time. I can't remember. Maybe it will. I can't remember. But, yeah, he beat my butt. You know, he went undefeated a couple of years. Uh, he pretty much owned 250 GP, and, and uh, he, he beat my butt pretty good. But... Yeah, I finished second to third every every year I ran and uh, just just loved it and was doing it as a magazine journalist and had Steve Boganski as my tuner. And we just had the time of our lives. I mean, just laugh out loud, fun. And uh, boy, if we ever qualify in the front row, that's all anybody heard about. You know, we'd walk on the pits, we're on the front row. <laughs> we really, we really enjoyed it. And uh, and it was, it opened so many doors. I think Freddie, you know, I think Freddie, it's true, probably, when I applied to work for you in 97, I had some racing accolades and that, that, I think that got me in the door. Fair, is that fair to say? Yeah. Yeah. And also just, just, even though it wasn't going to be so much racing school, but it's that standard, you know, that, that I was looking for. Nick, Nick did that perfectly on there. He was the right person. So it was, it worked out perfect. It was great. It was great 11 years. I, I really believed in, in a world champion doing a school because as I as I went through my riding career, I interviewed Freddie a couple times. Uh, definitely that bled, that rubbed off on me. I got to hang out with Eddie Lawson. I was doing stories with him. His his way ran, rubbed off on me. Thomas Stevens helped me a lot. He was a national champion. Uh, Scott Gray helped me. I mean, some of these people that came into my life at the right moments helped me. And I learned from people that were better than I was. And they gave me the right information at the right time. And so when Freddie announced that school, I was like, that's the way we should do it. It should, you know, it, it, ideally it's someone who has done a lot of stuff. And, um, at that point I'd, I'd won on two fifties and super teams, which were unlimited, literally no rules, uh, four strokes. So I had seen, and I got tired on the super teams bikes. We won championships because I did well on two fifty. So I, I truly did believe which Freddie taught is that if you, if you ride correctly, every bike works and, he, that's that was a big part of his push. So I, I really believe when when Freddie, you know, 250 national world champion, a 500 world championship in the same year, and he said, I'm going to start a school. I was like, that's where I want to be. And uh, I got him a resume and and went in there and paid him to hire me. I paid him a lot of money to hire me. It was pretty good. No, perfect. But it's, it's true, Nick. It is, is, you know, when I announced I was going to teach trail breaking, you know, it has such a stigma. But, um, Everybody said you can't teach the average rider, and I and Mary, yeah, there's that's just not that's not the case, you know. Um, and and more importantly, it's not so much about it not being the case. It's just it's it's how you get the bike slowed down and turn, and you can make corrections in corners and things. Even if you look at it as as slowing and turning, using the brake as you're slowing and turning, you know. Um, so there was a lot of things even thirty, you know, twenty five years ago now. Um, that people had, had beliefs about that's not so much the case, you know. But there was a belief that for, and to ride a bike properly, there was some, it was about skill level, about talent, instead of what it should be about, which is technique. Um, talent, you can go faster, more consistent, okay, different things. And, and, you know, and that's even just a combination of, 
of where your your sequencing and your technique, your inputs are so repetitive and so under control that all your thought is going toward management because there are two separate things. And so, you know, again, my belief, and I even understand better today than when I did 25 years ago, of course, you know, when I, that those two things work together. The better you get at being consistent with your technique, the better that is, then the better you can manage the writing, corrections, choices. You know. what, what has changed uh, in the last few years, at least, is that so many people now truly believe in trail breaking because what it has done for their riding. And if there's, you know, it, obviously we'd like to get lessons across to people every time we talk. And I know Freddie is, is, is really the same as I am. I mean, we, we want to just teach this correctly. But if once, once you start to trail brake pressure to the corner, and that is just leaving the brake light on past the turn in, you're leaving the brake light on past the turn in, you're controlling your speed further down to the slowest part of the corner, which is down past the turn in always. You're controlling your steering geometry so your bike actually steers a little bit better, a little bit lighter, and you're controlling your front tire contact patch, which you want at that point. Once you start to play with that, you become, you, it changes your life. It changes your riding. Uh, and you become the person who writes into these websites when someone says, hey, Nick Einach, you're an idiot for teaching trail braking. Dave Palazzolo, are you trying to kill people? Now we have people writing and say, you're, you're 100% wrong. This is exactly what we should be doing. And it gets back to the question, Dave, that you started with is, is racing and street riding. And what, what, we, what we realized uh, pretty quickly uh, as we taught is that the bike has no idea whether it's on the racetrack, you know, downhill turn five at Elkhart Lake, uh, second gear, tight corner after a long straightaway, or a, uh, a right-hander in a hayfield after a long straightaway. The bike has no idea whether it's at Elkhart Lake or on the street, uh, running along the river, running down the canyon. The tires have no idea. So what, what Freddie did in 97 was said, boy, you know what? This worked to win world championships and it will work to allow each rider to find not the speed of the world champion, that has nothing to do with it, but the consistency. So everybody there that, that has this idea that, oh, racing and street riding are exactly, are, are, are different riders. A road racer gets zero points lying in the dirt. They get zero points going slow. So if you go fast and crash your brains out, or go slow and not finish in the top, you get zero points, you don't have a career left. And street riders, you know, ruin your life by crashing a motorcycle on the street, ruin your your health, ruin your bank account. So Freddie, this idea that 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 we still push very hard uh, really has changed lives. Fair to say? Absolutely. Absolutely, Nick. I, you know, I've, 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 I've told the story about I've been approached in airports years later after, you know, stopped going to school in Vegas and then, and then you guys went on from there. Um, and I, the biggest rewarding is when someone comes up and they said, I did this, which is, you know, not only the trail breaking, but the multitasking. And again, that comes from understanding the bike, how it works and how to properly and how the best way or the most efficient way to get the bike to, to, because it's a rolling inertia gyro in one direction and changing it in the shortest amount of time and in the safest way possible, in the most consistent way. But I have someone that, that I had someone that, that lived in Kansas and they come up on a combine and turned in front of him. He said, I rolled off throttle, got on the brakes, moved my body and got the bike to pivot and rotate. And, and 
and I barely clipped the right bumper of the, of the combine. Now, you don't know how those situations are going to turn out, but in this, but that's an example of understanding how, or, or, or certainly what we taught, but also have the right, the right choice. If you don't know, let's say, and this is where this is where where Nick was saying about, well, on the racetrack it's used for speed, but the whole point was, and the whole point I wanted to do it, even though maybe it was going to be easy, and the reason is 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 control. And, and to be able to make in that position a choice that gives you the best chance to get out of that in the best, least unscathed possible and not be plastered on the side of that combine, right? I mean, it's just, yeah. those are the two choices that we have, right? <laughs> and, and Freddie, it gets to this saying we have at our school and, and I, I, Mark Thompson, one of our Marine Corps, former Marine Corps, majors brought to us and I don't know where he heard it, but he said, if I'm wrong, I want to be wrong for the shortest time possible. And we, I, I just have to ask anybody, any, everybody out there that teaches riding, that wants to ride, that is going to be anybody out there involved in motorcycling. Why don't we try these things? Why, why would you stay tied to any particular habit? Why don't you try these things? Because here's the deal. This is not tennis where Freddie Spencer says two-handed backhand and uh, Troy Corsa says, one-handed backhand, and they argue about one, and the ball goes in the net or what it doesn't. This is, this is hurt yourself. Uh, this is uh, 4,900 riders per year over the last five years. So 25,000 riders in the last five years have died on motorcycles in America. And so at some point, Freddie, Freddie's passion, my passion has to be realized that this all counts. So if you're going to ride a motorcycle, why don't you do it best practices? Why don't you do it the very, very best you can? And you, you, you all would sit there right now and say, yeah, that makes a lot of sense. So anybody who's tied to some of these past techniques, straight line braking, get off the brakes before you turn, not right. Ride like this in traffic instead of covering the brakes in traffic, not right. So the idea is that we're going to accelerate through the corner, not right. We're always playing with our speed to match our radio. So, and to be specific, we only accelerate when the corner opens. So it, 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 if you are... If this is what you want to do, you want to ride a motorcycle, something that could hurt you and kill you, step up, listen to what we're saying, understand that the world champion says, this works, this doesn't, this is right, that is wrong. And what we're going to do is we're going to stick with what works and what is right. And riders, wherever you are, if you have the desire, if you think, man, this is really something I want to do, it, you will be very, very good at it. And Freddie, I, I didn't tell you this, but it, it broke my heart. Guy called me, uh, we were at, at a track at Button Willow, he called me, picked up my cell phone. Uh, he said, my name is Luis. Uh, I just got kicked out of the Motorcycle Safety Foundation class. They asked me to leave uh, because I wasn't downshifting correctly. And I said, well, why didn't they teach you? And he said, well, they didn't. They asked me to leave. They gave me a piece of paper and told me to leave that I shouldn't ride a motorcycle. Uh, and so we, I said, well, I've got an instructor in your area. So one of my instructors, YCRS guys, shows up in the parking lot, teaches him. He's riding, having the time of his life. And Freddie, that broke my heart. Have you ever told anybody shouldn't ride? Right. No. Yeah. First not. I mean, how many times did you call people at the school in Vegas? You know, they were struggling nine o'clock at night. You and call them like, what can we do? You know, and 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 you know that was always that was always the thing. Well, I, I well we had the one one of the students, and you might remember this day. But I remember it so well. He you know because we'd have people stand up at the beginning of class, introduce themselves, and. Um, 
And he, he was one of those that never been on a bike till he was 37. I believe he was right about 37. He, and he goes and he buys, you know, they sell him a sport bike. Um, he, he said he lived about two miles. He lived in St. Louis, about two miles from the dealership. And so he, it took him like 35 an hour to get home. I mean, he's scared. <laughs> and he gets garage, parks it, and he, and he didn't really want to tell his wife. And, and so he, he said, well, how was it? And I think, oh, it was great. You know, so it sit there every <laughs> week. And in those days, you, you know, typed in ride schools, you know, school would pop up. And so he said, oh, that's why I'm here. You know, he said, you know, and I went to do some training and, and they, you know, I didn't do a very good job or whatever. So as it, he was there and it's exactly like it was. By the second day, I told him, you're one of the fastest improving riders we've had. You know, he's clean shake, uh, slate, uh, slate of, of, of paper, clean sheet of paper. And he basically learned, picked up, and he went on to be one of, one of certainly one of our, our best students. And, and I think he ended up even helping when they built the track there in St. Louis and got involved in the community and things. But that happens every day, too. You know, not only what the, the sad story that Nick told you about where, you know, that he would just throw in a towel or give up. Um, but also in both ways, you know, whether it's the, in that case, the MSF local gave up on that student or, or the fact the student is not getting the proper training. That's why the training part is so important. Uh, not only as we've been talking about, you hopefully make the right decisions when you need to and have the skills and technique to be able to do it. Um, but also in this case, a writer that, was really not sold through correct bike, you know, and, right, and right. put in a position to fail, you know? Yeah. And, yep. and, but, but just didn't give up. And so everybody out there that maybe has had those experiences, as Nick was telling you, it's not, you know, this is, I've been doing this my whole life. The life it's given me is incredible that I'm thankful for every single day. Right. Nick, I know you feel the same. And, um, but, don't give up, you know, don't, don't let someone else, uh, determine the enjoyment you're going to have. And because if you come to the right place with the right people, they're going to support you and give you the tools and the, and things to, to, to continue on in this great sport that we share. Yep. And, and if you, if you'll think about, uh, for anybody who's coaching out there who wants to coach and coaching groups. The student has shown the desire, which Freddie said is the most important thing. He or she has shown the desire by showing up. They're paying the money, they're showing up. That That is proven that they, they want to be there. So now it is up to us to figure out a way to teach them. And, and you know, our instructors and myself, we understand that very clearly. It is on us to help them you know, say, we've never told a rider they shouldn't ride. Even though, Freddie, you can remember we had some people that were so, so new and so out of their element. But... We stuck with it and did that job. So I, I believe it's up to us to to work with them and and riders, the coaches that do these um, the two day schools. It's okay to tell a student at the end, say, "Listen, you don't quite have it yet. I don't feel comfortable uh, putting you putting you through, but I would like you to come back and offer them a fifty percent off or, or a free day or two to get them past that little bit." And that's what we have to do because they've shown the desire. Absolutely. And uh, so and the other thing that's illegal at my school is none of my instructors can tell a student you need 10,000 hours to get proficient. That is That has been completely illegalized in our school because if some student comes in and sits down and then we say, hey, 
got to do this for 10,000 hours to get good, which we don't believe, right? We don't believe. We, right? This, so anybody who's out there who's thinking about it, we believe if you are told the right thing and you practice the right thing, the improvement is so phenomenally fast. It's unbelievable how good people get if they're practicing the right thing because practice makes permanent. So we got to get the right thing to them. And Dave, you know, you, um, you, you taught new rider schools and you don't do it anymore. You aren't, you weren't happy with it. I mean, I don't want to, I don't want to throw stones at people. I want to say, let's lift the whole, let's shift the whole riding in, industry. Let's get things going. Well, and I get criticized sometimes because I think people think I'm, I'm hard yeah. on basic rider, basic rider courses are in, are critical. They're an important, they're, these guys are out there doing the Lord's work. But there are yes. places where I really think these basic rider courses need to be improved. I was thinking the other day that, okay, so why have these basic rider courses been saying it's it's okay to accelerate in a corner, but it's not okay to brake in a corner? Well, and they'll say, well, it's because the front brake can be done abruptly, right? Even a super powerful motorcycle, when you roll on the throttle, the, the throttle is going to be relatively gentle. Well, what's going to be changing in our sport where now the torque being applied to the rear tire may be just as abrupt as the front brake? Electric motorcycles are going to potentially, we might be on a collision course with basic rider courses if we don't start thinking about some of these more holistic approaches to how we're teaching riders. The difficult part that we want to move beyond is, is how to use the brake smoothly, understanding the input, and what level of each of those points of input, one point, two points, three point, four points, the effect it has. The first effect is transfer weight forward. The second effect, once we get to a certain point, is we load, you know, weight forward, load that front suspension, compress it, solid, load the tire, solid. Now that that between the tire and our hands, which is what we feel with, is 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 contacted, right? Now we can maximize the front brake. And I was saying the other day when I was visiting with Nick and them in Vegas, someone was asking about or asked the question to the student, do all all of you have the sequence of what you do in every corner? Well, not sure. Don't think so. Okay, well, that's that's the problem. How do you expect then to be able to, in that moment that you need to make the decision, how can you make it safely, consistently, same way every time, and not use up time and distance? Okay, so I said I used myself example. I have three steps. In the body, lower body's in position, next is rolling off on the brakes, clutch, downshift, and all in my maximum braking zone. Obviously, the first, you know, the first step, loading the front tire, maximum brake is out. And then the next step is, is feeding off the brakes, controlling my radius, controlling the direction, rotating the bike. So I'm ready for the next step through a blind corner. There's canyon chasers. You ride through a lot of canyons, right? So you go through a lot of blind corners. Well, I have three choices now. I'm prepared for anything that happens next because the first part is that sequence of events. Now, this all sounds complicated, doesn't it? It's really not. When you learn it, you understand how the bike works, and you train yourself, and we all have this capacity to do it, is to be able to, to feel those things, remember it, have that sequence of bandits. Now, let's go back to what you said, though. Well, I don't teach it because you can be abrupt with the brakes. Right? That is a cop-out. You know? It just is. I mean, it's it's like if you if if you understand the benefits, and and I used to say this in racing terms, 
you know, especially in the old two-stroke days. Now with electronics, you can certainly have you have the adjustments to be able to, to mask a rider's um, weaknesses if they're abrupt on the throttle and everything. Do you do that? In the older days, throttle controls everything. And so, but I always used to say everything's a compromise, you know? And, uh, you know, I think that's where you have to, you, we can move beyond, you know, the, the old belief of, well, I'm not going to teach someone how to use the brakes in a corner because these two things can happen. Right? Right, Nick? I mean, it's like that's that's just unacceptable in that that respect, you know? Yeah, but it, almost every answer that we give as coaches begins with, it depends. That, that, right? It depends. For instance, you couldn't accelerate to a corner when the corner is less than 90 degrees. You turn in and accelerate because the corner is opening. But it gets to back to the basic idea. We accelerate, we can see the exit and take away lean angle because an accelerating motorcycle lengthens the steering geometry and wants to run straight. So it, it, it becomes very straightforward. Uh, and what, what right now there's somebody listening to this thinking we're crazy, that we can't teach new riders that. And it's only because the current programs out there that we've seen and studied don't have the right order. They're not in the right order. And I'm not here to rewrite their curriculum. I would rewrite their curriculum, uh, and I, I, I would love to, but that's, they're not asking me. So we're not here to rewrite the curriculum, but so many of, of those type of rider coaches believe we can't teach this to new riders because they don't start the process correctly. They don't start the process with the priorities that Freddie mentions and that we work on so hard, and that, that's, that's provable. And it's so funny because I swore years ago to never discuss riding technique without a motorcycle in a parking lot or a road or a track. I, I just, because everything works in theory, right, Pretty Everything in theory works. Do all your braking in a straight line. Oh, that's such a good idea. Get all your braking done before you steer. Oh, fantastic. And you would be safe forever. But now all of a sudden you're on a sport tour with your sweetie on the back. It's raining. You're in a corner you've never seen before and it tightens. And all of a sudden you've let go of the brakes that tip in and you're across the center line. And if there's a truck there, you die. So that's the problem is the, the, theor the theory that I promised myself I would never discuss without a motorcycle, it, is, it can sound just exactly right. And if I have a motorcycle there, anybody who we're discussing this with will, will feel the control of, 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 of uh, brake pressure on past tip in. They'll feel the, the cut reaction time of covering the brakes. They'll feel this. And I, I'm, I'm, I'm a guy that just believes that we will try to make this best practices. That we'll say, you know what? This works for the world champions to go really, really fast and not fall down. This should work for my students to get to breakfast on Sunday morning at any speed they want and not fall down. And that, that's my belief. And I'm naive enough, Freddie, to still be pushing it. No, I think, you know, the thing is, Nick, I, I think, you know, one of the things, and, and you're, you're correct. I mean, it's, it's, it's easy. And, it's, and again, it's based on, you know, speed. You have someone listening right now and they go, you know, well, I don't really go fast enough. I don't need to use the brakes when I, when I get to a corner. Because to me on the street, I want to use the least amount of lane angle. You know, you see someone riding on the road and, you know, they're going in and, and I, probably the majority of them, just saying, not being critical, but majority of them, they go in a corner and, and they might vary in, in a corner. They go through five, six feet. And they, they, the only way they, if they misjudge your speed is they have to apply more lane angle. Now see, because I'm such a, a cautious rider in general, I don't like taking risk at all. So 
I get in that corner and that and I have to apply more lane angle. My 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 concern is always, well, what if a car came through and drug some rocks on on the road? You know, my belief with this, and it's and it's and I I'm very passionate about it. As you can tell, you know, from the very beginning, it's always been is if I can make an adjustment in the area that I have to make the adjustment, isn't that better to have that technique than not? I'm just, you know, just from the standpoint of, I'm not asking, I'm not, I know that we can all go in a corner in different ways on a motorcycle. No one understands that better than me. I've done it all different ways, <laughs> you know. But I also believe in having the most control and the most options. And, and in our case, on a motorcycle, is if I can get away with running less lean angle, and this is where racing taught me this, bike development taught me this, understanding tire technology taught me this, is that if, if I can have better control and better grip, I have better options if I need to make corrections. Right? I mean, so you can tell me all day long, and I will say, good, you know, good luck with that. And I'm happy, you know, and it's, you're right that, that we can go through corners in all different ways and, and enjoy that. But I'm just saying, I think that if we, if we look at the best way to have the best control at any given moment, the better prepared we are, you know, as Nick showed you, just, just having your fingers right, be able to make adjustments, understanding how to load the, load the tires. And that's what we want everybody, you know, I'm, I'm saying everybody out there is just, Yes, there are different choices, but what gives us the best control, you know, and the best options? The, the number one place we're dying on a motorcycle is running wide in corners. That study done, uh, Thompson did a big study with the Marine Corps. Running wide in corners and riders, that, that number one fatal spot, running wide in corners or cur curves, corners, usually right turns, is directly tied to the mistakes taught new riders. If you're taught to straight line brake, get off the brakes before you turn in, you cannot control your bike. And that's the word Freddie uses, control your bike into the corner. If you're taught to accelerate the bike in the corner, as you accelerate a motorcycle or any vehicle, airplane, car, boat, the radius opens. And in this case, the radius opens at the same lean angle. So you're at the same lean angle, but you're accelerating, your radius opens. So this, these two, that fatal point can be dropped, tied directly to new riders or, or riders believing they get all their braking done before they steer and then accelerate through the corner, directly tied. So at some point when, when Freddie says, hey, do, do it the way you want, but good luck. The problem is this, this is my whole life. Um, it's, I've met my wife at a racetrack. All my friends are road racers. A, a road racer hired me back in 97. This is my whole life. So I'm pissed off. I'm pissed off about what's being taught. And it's, it, and I, I'm gonna do my very, very best to change it because it hurts me. Absolutely, and Nick, listen, you know, anybody who says about, well, you know, cause you said it, you just said it. Most crashes, of course, they happen in corners. It's where people get hurt. Hey, guess what? Street, racetrack, exactly the same. Is it, yeah. It's exactly, well, of course, it's exactly the same. It's our ability, is our ability to be able to make those corrections. And, and again, I use the word not depending on lean angle because most grip here, least amount of grip here. And everything in between is a variable. And, and that variable in between is based on, guess what? Main two things, how much brake pressure we use, how much aggression we use to try to turn it, the radius, and power. That's everything in here. Is affected by that, you know, and so um, 
you know, understanding how to do it. And and you said it yourself, you know, about putting the bike in a position to where asking it to do something that it really wasn't designed to do in that moment. Right. I mean, what, what Nick was saying about, you know, you get corner and now your only approach is on the brakes, off the brakes. Now you're asking yourself to judge the distance. I, and Nick, that was how you see use in, in the classroom. As an example, is coming up to every stop sign, getting on the brakes, off the brakes, 20 feet, 30 feet, 15 feet. Four. How can you judge that? Can't. Right? So, so that's why. Of course. At, or add more lean angle to compensate for it. And now you're asking, now you're getting on the throttle, taking weight off the front, you got a more lean angle, the front of the bike is still wanting to turn, now you're driving it with the rear wheel. And then and then you wonder, you know, why on the road, the guy crashes, you know, going through a corner, under throttle, on an exit, adding lean angle, and, you know, tire sucks. Yeah, yeah. Le okay, maybe. But, is wait a minute you know the bike is actually maybe in a position to where you know you really taking the weight off the front driving the rear that probably had something to do with it you know the corner the corner better be opening up if that's your style you said we, we've been discussing this for 25 years that's funny my friend ken hill and i were at, at a track day and we were talking about it we said this is not this is not getting better track days are not getting safer Yet we have all the nannies, traction control, weedy control, yaw control, spin control, AVS, power modes. We got all these things, but we just aren't, the, the, the onboard engineer is not doing the right job. And so this, this there was just a, a track day that I heard about, had three life flights. It had three helicopters flying out of it. Uh, people say, I, I quit going to track days because there's a red flag almost every session. I lose my sessions. I'm just wasting my money. So... Even even where we think the people are are riding well and are learning are still not they're still not got this these things figured out and and I, I I'm I'm telling you there are answers out there that are life changing for you all that are doing track days much less street riding they're they're just life changing where it changes everything you're doing all of a sudden and and Mark Thompson this this Marine Corps major he said it best he goes before I met you guys every corner was kind of a crapshoot track or street every corner is kind of like man I hope Hope this all comes together now open it's just yeah yeah that's right open pray now he says now it's complete control every corner is complete control on roads i've never seen before and that's so i i'm not, I'm not pitching my school i'm saying there's a world out there waiting for you that will change your life and make you that rider that you want to become and freddie that was that was truly your push in 97. you held everything back you said this is this is how i did it you gave everybody keys to kingdom and, and that's that's why your school killed it, and now YCRS is killing it, because we say, this is how it works. I want to say something about what you're saying about track days. I haven't been to one. I, I don't even, but I, this is what I imagine, is electronics, and I said this, the first, I wrote, Mick Doing and I wrote the very first of the CVs. Uh, we introduced them in 01 at Motif. And you know the coolest part was, because you all know, loved, uh, obviously, you know, Nick, uh, we, we all love two strokes and I grew up racing, you know, grab pre bikes on two strokes. But to hear that thing in the garage fired up was pretty, it was pretty good. Uh, it's pretty amazing. <laughs> it was pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it was pretty good. <laughs> so, so, rode out on the track.
right away, and the whole paddock was still there uh, because it was at the end of practice on Friday because no one had seen the bike front. And so we went out, and and, and there's a video. Uh, it's on YouTube, I think, of where I'm leading Mick coming on the fresh freeway, and the rear brake, the rear bike brakes traction and corrects itself. The electronics, the very first ones, were reactive, you know, uh, not proactive. You know, it reacted to it. And and I remember I wouldn't really accelerate that hard anyway, so I didn't really get out of the throttle, so it actually kicked in and worked. So anyway, I stopped, and I remember the journalists were asking, you know, we're up to electronics and things. And, and, and what I said was, right away was, I said, well, you know, racing, we're taught, and we, it's, go, go, granted, this is, you know, long time ago now and and we hadn't experienced electronics yet but i said you know we we teach ourselves we have to learn throttle control brake control clutch control and i said this this is going to be great for the average rider electronics because it will mask so many issues the problem with that is is now i can i can only imagine that's track days they get away with so so much until they can't and now the speeds are so much higher because the, the bikes are allowing them to go faster because it doesn't give that feedback of danger, 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 because they're so good, which is great, and they're so forgiving in so many ways, but they've never learned how a bike works. So now they're crashing at a lot higher speeds. Didn't hurt, maybe, I'm not saying, but I couldn't imagine what it would be like. And so it just say it out there that no matter what, you know, the bike gives you, and it, it's great. You know, it's like I always say about um, setup, buying parts, skin suspension, getting all these things. Learn how the bike right, works first, and then utilize the things that make the bike easier to ride, and your riding experience will be even greater. Right? Absolutely. But don't depend on it because it is great until it's not. And then you go, what happened? You know, and and that's just you know, my my opinion. You know, there. yeah, the crashes are more violent because it's not like an old day, like an SV six fifty. They just ran out of whatever and they low slide into the dirt. Now it's they're so far beyond where a normal rider could get to that it, it's like these violent high sides and these you know, and it's it's sad, right? Like it should be. I'll give you an example. I, the one thing I'm, you know, I'm doing the chairmanship on that, or I'm involved with the MotoGP Pal, so I don't get to ride that that often much anymore over the last five years. But I have done a couple of product launches on the Fireblade, and I've ridden seven, eight days each time, which was great. And the modern bikes with electronics, it allows someone, like myself, I'm 61 now, this was a couple of years ago, and I was riding with Bautista and Leon. And so I could hang with them a little bit. Because the bike helped me. I mean, that's just the truth. You know, I mean, the bike the bike allowed me to be able to, not weaknesses, but just a little bit easier. Beautiful, right? I, no, I thought that was great. It was great. Now, what if, though, I didn't have the techniques and understanding of the bike, I could have got myself in trouble a lot, really a lot quicker. Just the truth, you know, because I, I understand and and... That's why it's so important, even if you don't realize that you need, I promise you you do, that it will help you to be able to, to, to avoid some of those things. Because the bikes are so forgiving today. Again, like I said, they will suck riders in, put them in positions they're not ready for. And, and you know, I'm, I'm not big on specifics because people tune into these 
to certainly look at our pretty faces. I know that's a big thing of it, but to, to, to hear these things. And for, for those of us that do track days on big, fast bikes, I have a big, fast motorcycle. If you will get this very clearly in your mind, more speed, more brakes. The faster you go, the earlier you must brake. And that means earlier brake pressure, a little more brake pressure, use them a little further down in the corner because the corner will not magically open for us. It stays the same for us. So as we go faster toward the corner, we have to brake earlier than the lap before as we went slower or on a slower bike. And if you'll get that in your brain, and Freddie, what what really, you know, we, we have five reasons, we have seven reasons we crash at the motorcycle, at, at, the, at the school. And I believe we're getting to the, almost the priority now is rushing corner entry because we can't be saved at corner entry by electronics. We have to do that ourselves. So when we say in corner entry riders, you are not on the, on the curb at the apex. You are somewhere wide of the curb at the apex. And that should be a red light alarm bell going off in your mind saying you're going to have a problem pretty soon because you have to hold lean angle off the corner because you don't have a point yet. So Freddie, this idea, and I think that it was, it was I know that I, I never talked to you about it, but it must have been a huge part of transferring from the 250 to the 500 is that the 500 has to break earlier. And I think this is getting these people in trouble. They buy these fast motorcycles and they think I'm going to break later and later. Right, right, right. Exactly. And because of the fact of breaking earlier, smoother, the higher speed, the more the grip is affected by the friction and the load and the speed that you're trying to compensate for. You know, the tire, the higher corner speed you have, the more lane angle you have, the, 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 the more the grip is affected by that friction and, and speed. So the tr every input has to be smoother, more delicate, and the transition to throttle is the same. You said the violent high side, you know, is, oh, traction control is going to save me, you know? And so they just, they, they get possibly, more than likely, they've been running a certain speed. Now they're one or two miles an hour, and that's all it takes, one or two miles an hour more, the same application to throttle, that's over the grip level. And way over the grip level because it's yeah. it's now it, it's it's overwhelmed the traction control. It has it's overwhelmed the traction control. And the traction control can't react fast enough to be able to compensate for that. And so you know, one is 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 so you understand the relationship with the bike. But that you know, to where when you get in a situation, you don't overwhelm the traction control. You don't not so dependent on it that you become you know, lazy in, in many respects on, on how you apply the throttle. Yeah, if you, if you think about it, riders out there, you are doing something that was beyond the imagination of the engineer. Uh, the engineers who designed that machine never imagined that, that you would miss the apex, start to accelerate and add lean angle. And, and it, it overwhelms, it still overwhelms it. So this, this idea uh, behind earlier brakes, not rushing corner entries is becoming a bigger part of our school because we have such fast motorcycles out there and that, that whole rush in the corner entry, you can't get the bike pointed at the apex. That's really what we're pushing. And, and you have to start to coach yourselves, riders, because the crashes can be so gigantic. And it's funny, Freddie, but uh, boy, if anybody's looking at us saying, you know, hey, there's these two guys talking about this stuff. Everybody, we, we wanted the high level. We went very, very fast and we still go fast, right? Freddie, you jump on these bikes, dude, and you're rolling. And so we are proving it every moment. And that's a big thing. Yeah, and and the thing is, Nick, it's the part that, that like I said, is is if it's not about talent, this or it's not about age, or it's not about the speed you go. It's about this is how a bike works, and these these are the dynamics that you're working against. 
as you put this bike in the correct position. And that doesn't change. It just doesn't change. Um, and it just doesn't. And that is the part, again, of, of control. And that's why, that's why when I was racing and started school, I didn't come out to students and say, well, you can't learn this because, you know, you don't have the same talent. No, it's a technique. It's someone out there that might be younger that looks at this and goes, yeah, but, you know, I'm riding a modern bike. Okay. You know, it's not, I mean, that's, it's irrelevant. I mean, it, it's about this is how the, this is how the bike works. And, and it's, it's one of the things that, that is great about what, what we do. And, and what we, we have so much of an impact on how the motorcycle reacts or doesn't react. You know, I've, I've told the story a few times. I've had a couple of crashes on corner engines at a Grand Prix and I, it threw me off. I was, the track was drying and anyway, I hit a, a wet spot, it threw me off left side. Then the bike went through the corner perfectly. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was chasing it. There's a picture of me chasing this bike. You know, I was trying to catch it. You got bonus money for pole position at the time. <laughs> no, but anyway, I, I think the other thing, Nick, that that you said so well about, you know, the mid-corner, the engineers, um, is it's, it's mechanical. And so the application of throttle, certainly the, the trudge control kicks in, but the application of throttle, how you get on the brakes, transferring that weight, loading the tire, making the direction change, and then being able to make adjustments um, is all controlled by us, you know? And, and so the better we understand that, the better we do it, that is the consistency through all the years, through all different motorcycles, the evolution of, of the modern bikes, um, and, and certainly with electronics. One of the, uh, one of the biggest track racing organizations in the country said they were cycling through 60% of their members every two years. So every two years, six out of 10 racers working with, riding with them quit. And why do they quit? Well, you crash yourselves out where you're, you're physically hurt or you crash yourself to the point where you can't spend the money. Uh, or you go, to, you go to races or track days and there's so many red flags that you get half the riding you should and you, you do something else. So there, there's a lot of push to this, this idea of getting things safer. And there's two ways to get safer. One is to slow down uh, and ride around at 30%. And you'll, you, that's not our personality. You'll lose interest. You'll just have your bike parked in the garage. Not. The other way is to get truly after these things. And anybody who's had a crash, and, and, and Freddie, we are often the last, the last choice for someone who's had a crash. Like, okay, I'm, I'm, I keep falling down. When I try to go faster, I fall down. I'm going to go to the school and see what happens. I, I encourage you, if you've had a crash, to get after this stuff. Stud, study the things that Dave's putting out, certainly that Freddie and I are doing. Study this stuff, and you'll start to see some, some very clear problems that you're having, and you'll start to see it. It's explainable. There are reasons. There are reasons things go right and wrong. And I, I'm telling you, it, it's, it's not easy. It's, it's one of the toughest things that we'll ever do in our lives, and that's why it's so enthralling. You know, just, I just cannot wait to ride again. It's so fun. But it is very straightforward, and uh, that's 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 my encouragement to anybody who's thinking about. Eh, I'm going to back away from it. Yeah, I, when I first discovered it, it was just a profound change. You you just don't run wide in corners anymore. And hey, now one of your instructors, he came up to me and he's like, "When it, it's it sounds silly, but it's like discovering the right religion." You're like, "Oh, 
everything now feels good. Everything now is is a peaceful. There's no drama, you know, like the the excitement comes from the precision and the, you know, like that's so much better than this, like always on the, oh, I hope I make it. I hope I set my entrance speed correctly. I hope I'm leaning far enough. I hope there's enough grip. Now it's this, oh, I know what's going on. And it's, there's just so much joy in that. Right. Well, I was just going to say, and you said it, is not afraid. Because that comfort level that you're talking about is because the fear where you, you're almost afraid of being wrong. You're afraid of, of, of change. You're afraid of, of because you really maybe don't know what to do. And so you're riding, and it's one of the reasons why that, that they cycle through so many, is you get out there, they, they scare themselves, or they're never, they don't really, and they want to do it, and they want to get better at it, but the joy never really comes. And the joy never really comes because they're not in control, you know? And, and every corner is an open prey, or, you know, when they hit a brick wall, you know, that's the other thing that happens. The people especially do track days, they, they improve, they improve, then they either crash a lot or get hurt or they hit a brick wall, you know, three things in a corner, corner entrance, mid corner is everything because it sets up the exit, which is, which is if you want to gain time on a racetrack, on a track day and get better and beat 90% of the people you race against at that track day is get better corner exit. Well, that can only happen if you do the first two things correctly which is get in at their brick at the best speed, right? But also that transition of application lane angle and direction change. Well, that has to happen in a certain amount of time. The faster you go, the less time you have. So if you go in, on the brakes, off the brakes, lean in, go the throttle, I think you're kind of limited on how quickly the brakes come to change direction. Because then what happens, as Nick told you, you're going to drift away from the apex, and now you're going to have more lean angle on the exit, and that's going to limit your ability to accelerate. Because now you've, short, you've narrowed the track up, in this case, as we're talking about, right? At track days or race conditions. So, I mean, it, it's if for no other reason, all the reasons we've talked about, but if you want to do track days, you want to be consistent, take the least amount of risk and have that control, then you got to improve in these particular areas, um, which is a good training place, a good school. That's what they teach you. Um, not just, well, hope to lean in it and, and go to the throttle. So, and again, bring it back to the street, bring it back to the street and misjudge that first part. The faster you're going, the less time you have. Everything is time and distance. So, um, and even as a cruiser rider, you know, you're going into a corner, whatever the example you use, Nick, with your girlfriend or your sweetie or significant other on the back, you know, you think, well, I don't ride at the limit. You know, I don't, I don't like to go fast. I don't enjoy the speed thing, but you end up in a corner that tightens back up or there's water running across the tra or the road, right? Now you're at the limit, you know? And like, you know, how about we learn the skills that you don't end up in those situations? Right. So that's why exactly just, but that's why going back to, 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 they work hand in hand, the fear and then making the right decision. Cause that rider you just described it goes in with his girlfriend on the back is responsible himself her first because she's on the back with you if their approach has always been well i don't go fast i don't race i don't you know i don't feel comfortable using the brakes what are you going to do when you hit get to that water what are you going to do if there's gravel car come the other direction if you're right in corn i mean <laughs> what are you going to do 
hope. Yeah, but I mean, so how in the world could you ever feel confident and not a little bit afraid, right? And just hope it's not your time, right? How, how can you ever not be a, a little bit scared? And that panic in that moment, we're all the same. This has fear knows no talent mode. Is is it just narrows up with golf? It narrows up your reactions. Your it slows down everything you do and your your reaction. It's um, you know, that's all. I mean, I don't know what else to say. You know, it's yeah. I don't think being scared is fun. I don't think riding in fear is a fun experience. And I ride to have fun. You know. <laughs> yes, I mean that that was the whole point. Why it's why it's why I you know when Nick said about you know me do it when I started the school. That was the thing I felt most about. It, everything that I utilized or, or put in that first program, you know, trailbreaker, we used moving our body, you know, teaching what I had learned over my 29 years on how bike works um, and how we interact with it. So it was all geared toward, as much as anything, the joy that I get from riding, the joy that I remember when I closed my eyes before every Grand Prix, I closed my eyes. Stay a little word about basically let's keep everybody safe. Let's have a great day. But I would think about my yard. When I rode my yard, I could feel the, the air change between the front and the back. The, the trees were thicker in the back than the front. That's how aware I was about just the sensation of riding. That's incredible. It gave me everything, you know? Well, that just gave me goosebumps. <laughs> That's pretty touching. That's incredible. Yeah, because I think we've all experienced that. Yeah, of course. That's what we share, right? That's the great thing that we share through motorcycle. That's that's why that's why the mirror. I'm sitting there talking about this. I mean, we we actually care. You know, it's. I mean, it's it's a lot. There's a lot of people out there that care. It's not about that, but it's just that we 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 we, underst we understand this and want to help others to have the best opportunity to understand. Yeah, and right, you know, right now, if we look up, we look up at our in our local Craigslist, you'll see a bike for sale. It's six years old. It's got uh, twenty three hundred miles on it. It's for sale with the jacket, the helmet, oil filters, and and extra oil. And that that rider says, I don't have time to ride, but they don't. They've never experienced the joy that we three have experienced because they are literally doing something wrong on the bike at the wrong moment. They're not riding the bike the way it was designed to be designed to be ridden by people like Freddie. And so this. This that joy part is huge, and Freddie Ryan Burke and and you know uh, everybody's listening. Ryan Burke is a six-time memory number one plate holder, just dominant in Colorado. He came to the school about seven or eight years ago, and then he started winning championships. He told Freddie at the school, he said, "Freddie, I I was afraid to go to YCRS because I didn't want to ruin the joy I have in motorcycling. I didn't want it to make it all um, super progressive and logical and 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 boring and banal." And uh, he he said it became more fun from from learning how to do it correctly. He, he he gained joy, and then he said, "And winning never gets old." And that was really a couple specifics. You know, we talk about direction change in in and direction change and lean and lean angle are separate issues. And I wanted to talk about direction change really quickly because what is getting us hurt in on back roads, in intersections, in off ramps. And on the track is failure to get direction. So I will say, I'll start this with an idea that corner entry, the time that you go to the brakes, downshift, eyes, body position, tip in, all that corner entry 
is just to get the bike ready for the exit. When Freddie said you want to drop your lap time to get better at exits. And so some of you might have thought, oh, I need to accelerate early. But with the caveat is that you have direction. So I wanted to everybody to get that idea that corner entries get the bike ready to exit. And if you miss, if you miss your apex, the inside edge of the curbing, if you can't get there, you're rushing. You need to fix that somehow. Pull the brakes earlier, build more pressure, use them further, get it, get the bike to here. Because now you are pointed and have direction. And I want to just finish, though, Freddie was saying that if you really understand this concept of radius equals miles per hour at the same lean angle, whatever lean angle you're comfortable with, whatever, like, you know, gravel, rain, whatever lean angle you choose, how you affect your speed will affect your cornering radius. So if you're wide of the apex on the racetrack, and, and, and certainly if you're wide of, uh, of where you want the bike to be on the street, your mile an hour needs to be controlled better coming in at your lean angle, radius is mile an hour. So Freddie, direction versus lean angle uh, to you was huge, is huge, and we want to make it bigger in people's minds. Yes. Well, the thing is, Nick, what you said there, if, if you're talking about getting the bike in position, that's going to take a certain amount of time. If you misjudge that, it's going to take longer You could be out of, to get the bike in the right position, which does what? Affects your ability to be able to get on the throttle to accelerate in the safest possible way. Right. So if if you can maintain that brake pressure, and this this is the dynamics of understanding how the bike works, is that as you're applying lean angle and you use brake pressure, there's a certain point to where the brakes are making the directs the bike rotate better than anything else because it's slowing down the front wheel. And as the front wheel turns that direction, it basically pulls the bike inward is the sensation you have. I used to use the, the saying about like if someone had a rod reel. And they, they, they hooked you, and then they started reeling you in. That's the basic feeling that, that you get. But imagine a corner, you can see on the, on the screen here, and, I want, and this is the part I want to change direction. If I just use the lead angle or the natural slow on the bike at that same speed, it's going to take this long. That's, that would be the difference. If, if a rider and I were on the same line at that same point that when Nick puts up and talks about the distance between at the apex, the closest point, he's going to be out here. I'm going to be here. And more than likely, if we're moving this way, he's going to have the bike pointed this way. Mine's going to be turned this way and it's going to be closer. So who can now pick up the throttle and take away the leaning? Well, me. And I can get on the throttle sooner, safer, and have more room than on the exit. It strikes wider that I can pick up an exit to. And, it, and it's consistent, right? So... If we look at it just from a practical way of, of controlling what happens in that part of the corners, it makes a difference, you know, getting the bike in the right position to now accelerate. Again, if we transfer that on the street, it's the difference between in that corner, lean angle, I have less lean angle, I can pick the bike up and make adjustments. Because on the street, we want to be careful about that apex, right? We don't want our head in the oncoming lane. <laughs> of course. Exactly. Of course. You don't want to, in a right-hand corner, you want to be, in my opinion, you want to be as far away, especially a corner you can't see through, away from that center line, and you want to have options. And you want to have the right trajectory. You know, it's, it's like one little thing of... Uh, well, one thing about putting the bike in the right position, they can, you know, I would do this in uh, the school, is I would talk about, 
I can change direction in the area that I can see in a blind corner. That means I can get the bike slowed properly and start to turning, you know, the trajectory going the direction I want. Why is that important? Most riders that don't know how to use the brakes properly in a corner they can't see through fade in. If they have the correct speed, okay, they'll be fine. But imagine if they don't, and, and, and this is the center line and this is the trajectory. My trajectory would be this way, which would be parallel away from that center line to be able to make corrections. They're going toward it. Now they misjudge your speed. That's why they go across the center line. You know, it, it's not only that they can't control the bike's, you know, speed, they're out of control or being able to do it, but they've also put themselves in a position to where they make it much more difficult. That's, you know, thinking about those things and those dynamics is one another reason why that for us, understanding what we need to do on the bike at the right time becomes clearer, right? Yeah, for all three of us on this screen, and uh, a missed apex is, is a disaster. When we miss apexes on the racetrack, and, and I'll be even more clear, when our corner entry speed or line hurts our exit, that's how you start to think about it. For all of you that want to do track days and, and are doing track days and want to make, make it really simple, as soon as our corner entry speed line, et cetera, hurts our exit, we can't get the bike driven off the corner. We have to hold lean angle after the apex. We know that's a problem. So now all of a sudden you start to gauge your, your laps in a whole different way. Instead of just looking at lap time or who you passed, you start to look at apexes. And for street riders, and I street ride all the time, Fred and you street ride, Alessandra on the back, right? Dave, yeah, Dave street rides probably more than all of us. But as soon as you are unhappy with your line, as soon as you're offline, especially if the full lean angle, as the corner opens up and you're still holding lean angle, get direction, those are the alarm bells that set off what we're doing here. And, and if, if you really understand what Freddie's going to do for the rest of his life, he's, he's going to use his brakes to the slowest part of the turn, which is never near the tip end. It's never near the turn end. So for all of us that are playing with trail braking, Generally speaking, when people come to our school and they've started a trail break and they get a feel for it, they are literally not trail breaking quite far enough. Trail break a little bit longer to control the speed, the front tire, et cetera. And remember, rider, if you if you think to yourself, well, I'm, I'm not gonna use my brakes in the corner because I'll fall down, the tire will take this tr a tremendous load that will take an abrupt load. So if you're, if you're snatching at the brake lever or if you're flicking, turning the bike very quickly, that's when you fall down. If you're steering your bike in a linear fashion, braking in a linear fashion, the tire has amazing load. Uh, and and that's have that confidence that it'll take load without the abruptness. I, I think a lot of people miss the point that a tire is effectively a, a spring with no damping, right? If you were to take a spring and hit it, it's going to just spring and bounce, right? But if we load a spring and release that load, the spring is now under control. A tire really, we get kind of caught up in like dynamic friction and static friction and stuff like that. But a tire is a spring. Right. The sidewall. Exactly right. You know, the biggest, the biggest change over the years has been from radials, you know, then in the 80s, it's one of the adjustments from racing standpoint that we had to get used to. And, and even in setup and state, and even in the feedback was that, uh, but you're exactly right. Oh, is that it's the last bit of your suspension. And how you unload it, how you load it and unload it, of course, makes a difference. Affects the contact patch, you know. So that's a very good point on that. Yeah, I, I want to congratulate people that are listening to this, and uh, because it, this this is exactly 
what successful people do. They they really stew and stuff. And 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 I'm really glad you're listening to this and getting these ideas going. And 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 Dave, I'm gonna also you know congratulate you because you did push to to learn things yourself and pass them on. And you you continue to be all as a writer and 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 as a person who's teaching writers through your videos. And and you know if a lot of people are still stuck in what they learned. 20 years ago and you keep tweaking it and it is it has it made your life better on a, as a writer oh yeah well you know to quote our marine corps friend i, I want to be wrong for the least amount of time as possible and and i've been wrong about a lot of things and i will continue to be wrong about things but i think the difference is to always be hungry you know like i i don't like being wrong you know we're always looking uphill right we always want to be better i hope right and so like if i get entrenched in in tradition when I was in the military, they made you take these tests, um, like personality tests. And mine came through as a criticism. Um, it said, uh, is unimpressed with tradition, you know, cause I didn't really like these are <laughs> like, we do this because this is how we've always done it. And I think that's kind of carried through. I am unimpressed with tradition. I don't care about historic use or historic, whatever, you know, what do we know now? We have all these, you know, bike analytics and data acquisition and, and, you know, computer modeling. We know more now we do. Absolutely. And and the thing is, it confirms. You know, it's one one of the things. One of the things when we first got that data acquisition uh, on the American Honda team, uh, the Sue bike team here, was twenty years ago, and and a lot of riders were under the impression that in mid corner the bike the tire was overloaded, and that's why I was tucking, you know, because it was losing grip. The reality was, was um, especially if they were utilizing the brakes very well, so that they used the brakes to continue the load on the front to the point to where the tire needed the mass, maximum grip. And then once you make that transition to brake and throttle, from brake to throttle, the tire had the front tire the best chance to have the most grip. And then in turn, you had less front end tucks, right? They really blew it. Well, with data acquisition, we can show it. For example, for listeners out there, and, and when they went to to hundred extended forks, hundred twenty five millimeters travel, they could be that on the brakes on the bottom of the of the load, and then and then release the brakes and get to maximum lean angle as quickly as possible. It would unload to that before it ever even got to maximum lean angle. Before the rider could get it to its side as quick as as a as a professional rider could, it would be absolutely pretty much unloaded. So, you know, that putting that tire, if we think about it in that way, putting that tire in that condition, the data, the, the, the modern technology just confirmed some of the, some of the things that people thought, and then maybe that why it worked to do it this way, you know, or why it helped to put the bike in the best position. Give yourself the most control. So I I, I love it. Yeah, you know, that's why I love modern technology and things. And there's certain characteristics that just no matter electronics, no matter what, are work the same. Load, grip, application, abruptness, affecting what hasn't changed, which is our contact patch. Right. And I I hope readers, uh, listeners, are seeing that there are explainable data backed reasons that we do these things. So the rider that gets on the brakes, off the brakes and steers, unloads and asks reload under cornering load. And, and Freddie, myself, Dave, we're asking you to skip that unload and reload by trail braking. Keep that front brake load on and give away brake pressure load 
as you add lean angle load, and that's called trail braking. You're doing it in your car, et cetera. But Freddie, 20 years ago, recognized data is backing up what he was doing when he was working with these Honda racers. They were falling down riders because they come in and they jump off the brake so quickly, the front tire, undamped, an undamped suspension, as Dave would unload, go small contact, that's they'd fall down. So if you, if you had a crash at corner entry uh, and you're like, wow, how did I fall down? It's all, always because you jumped off the brake so quickly and you unloaded. You didn't, you didn't damp the rebound of that tire by letting go of the brakes over a longer period of time slower. And, and the, what I hope you're hearing is a beautiful part of what I hope you're hearing is how explainable this is and how readable and how data backed it is. And it's so engaging that here we are, we're chatting about it for an hour, right? Like we're having so much fun discussing these things, like the nuance of these things. It's amazing. Yes, it is. And, and I, 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 for me, that's always been the part I love most about riding is, is, and once I learned how to ride and granted, you know, once I, I realized all the things that I could impact, that's where, again, and that's where we, we are trying to, you know, to, to really get that message across that the sensation that you feel when you go out and ride, that joy of the freedom of just, and not worrying about what you're doing or why you're doing it is great until you need to make another choice. But I promise you that once you understand truly how to control the bike and, and, and you work with it, the joy will be even greater. It, trust me, that comfort level, as you said, what you really, one of the things say, right, that, that, that you got that moment where it's like this, my comfort level increased and it's like it opened up this whole new area of the, the sensation and joy of riding. Because the fear and the lack of that part that was always there that was limiting, kind of gets, it gets pushed aside. And, and um, you know, that's probably the hardest part for someone that's just listening to really comprehend maybe, um, but that you, that, that will come, you know? Open up yourself to a whole nother level of experience is what it is. And that's the part that has kept me interested in riding, I can get on a bike today where there's classic bikes, you know, or I ride modern bikes, you know, fire blades, and I love it. And, and that's the other thing for all you older riders of all generations out there is you never understand, you never, never stop learning. It's how we keep ourselves sharp and you know, on top of things. And shoot, I'd ready to go today. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I love seeing like your eyes just start to twinkle when you start talking about, oh, that bike was so much fun. And oh, I got to ride for 13 days. It was amazing. <laughs> I could ride all day, you know, ride all day. Yeah. You know, there is a strong message for anybody of any age. And, it, you know, it's the, it's the, yeah, it's the spirit of youth. It's the spirit of wanting to do something. Some of you sitting there are wanting to ride a motorcycle forever and have for d different reasons, family, money, whatever else, and you're in a position to do it. I, I don't believe it's time in the sport. I believe it's proper technique in the sport. So I would encourage anybody who has this desire, we have people of all ages show up of all experience levels, but they have that desire. So I encourage that. And the second thing is, <clears throat> excuse me, if I could speak to all the coaches and all the fast riders at track days, all the veteran riders at track days and all the coaches and anybody who's a, a veteran, I you need to become a uh, uh, you need to proselytize for the sport. You need to become a mentor. You need to say hello to the person who pulls in and they're going to take their new rider's class. You need to say hello to them and go help them unload and, and, and welcome them because 
there is a certain um, snottiness or looking down your nose at new riders, yet they have to be there for track days to grow. They have to be there for racing clubs to grow. I encourage everybody who is who is veteran and believes like we do and believes in the sport to become that person that walks up and join and joins people and helps people and gives them the thumbs up when they see them on the track and gives them a coaching tip that will help them. I really encourage that because that you will bring them up to a fold. You may be a new make a new friend uh, and you will increase everything. And I, I I'm asking all veterans to do that. Yeah, that that's a very good point, Nick. And and. Like I said, you don't talk at them, you talk to them, and we're, we're motorcyclists first, and your only purpose is we're going to help them. And, and uh, because I always remember everyone out there, anybody who's listening to this, is they're afraid. They're, 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 you know, they're showing up wanting to learn, but they're basically, you know, they're because they're struggling and they're afraid and, and it's difficult. And so if you come in with that attitude, you know, you make them feel comfortable, then they can learn. Okay, so uh, as we wrap up, I know you guys are busy. You have things to, to do and places to go. Um, I just really wanted to really thank you guys for spending the time to sit down, talk with us, share your insight into the world of racing and all these riding techniques. Um, it's not often, I think, that, that some people of your level are, are so generous with that kind of information. Uh, for all you listening at home, if you're inspired to learn more about this stuff, I encourage you to check out the Yamaha Champ School online program, Champ U. Uh, they have two programs now, the Champ U Core, which has been around for about a year, year and a half. And they're, they've just launched a brand new Champ U new rider program that is specifically designed for the brand new rider at the very beginning of their riding career. And it gives them, you know, techniques and, and concepts that the best riders in the world use to ride safely and confidently. And you can get a nice little discount when you sign up if you use coupon code FOCUS, F-O-C-U-S, FOCUS. Again, thanks so much for tuning in, and uh, we'll see you next time on The Breaking Zone.